Week seven, most holy place worship. Quick review. If you're going to be in your Bibles tonight, uh, I'm going to be mainly in Exodus 37. I'm going to be flipping through the chapter of Hebrews a little bit. But just a quick review. I've been reading the scripture every week in Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 through 35. It says, in the cloud, come on, Josh, keep up with me, buddy. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. We've been talking about that after Moses built the tabernacle, the temple, whatever you want to call it, to the design of God, over eight or ten chapters of detail, we've been talking about there's the, the, the kind of wood, the kind of metal, the stones, the curtains, the fabric, the embroidery. There's so much detail over chapters and chapters and chapters. After it was built to the exact design and exact plan of God, it says that the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle so much that there was no more room for even Moses to enter in. And the premise of this whole series is that we're becoming a worshiping church so much that there's no more room for us in this temple that the only thing people see, the only thing that gets um, glory, the only thing that's getting what it wants is God and not me. I no longer want to accomplish what I want to accomplish. I want to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. Because before I was even born, God said he made me, he put me in my mother's womb, he put me on this earth so that I could accomplish the work that he wanted to do. Amen? In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it even says this, don't, re don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. He says, your body is the temple. Your body is now the temple that I had Moses build to my design hundreds and hundreds and thousands or whatever you want to call it years ago. I built that tabernacle and I gave it as an example to you and now you are that temple. The Holy Spirit lives in you. So the more you live your life that this temple is built according to his design, the more you walk into your original purpose. And when you walk into your purpose, you come to a place where there's less of you happening and more of God happening. And when we get to a place where we're in such a degree of worship where there's more of God and less of me, you actually walk into a season of your life where you're getting into your maximum potential. There are so many of us that try to set goals and we try to do these things, but just let, I'm going to let you know right now, you will never reach your maximum potential if you are not building your temple according to the design that God has. God did not give us laws so that he could slap us on the wrist and say, please ask for forgiveness. He gave us laws. He gave us commands. He gave, he gave us a way because if we would live like that, our temple would look like this. And if our temple looked like this, then we would live the best life far beyond our ability and our wants and desires. Because we live in a fallen world. We live in a sinful state. And God says, I don't want you to live according to what your courtyard is in. Your courtyard is in sin. I want you to live according to your position in heaven. I have redeemed you. I have saved you. I look at you as holy. I look at you as pure. So start building your life as I look at you. And as you build your life how I look at you and walk into that truth, you reach your maximum potential. Is this good? Okay. More of him, less of me. 
it means you start to desire and want and become the things that God desires for you. In Psalm 37, starting in verse 3, it even says this, trust in the Lord and do good. And then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Let me just tell you something. God wants you to prosper. He does not want you to stay in the same place and just come to church and never move forward. People always talk about, do you believe in a prosperity gospel? Heck yeah, I do. Because I don't define prosperity by the money in my pocket. I define prosperity as that I'm moving forward and I'm going level upon level from glory to glory as the Bible tells me I will when I live my life according to his design. I am, I am designed to live safely in the land God has called me to live in and prosper in it. If you have never walked forward in your life, let me give you an amazing promise. God wants you to be in a better place. But that better place is not going to come by you saying, God, make it better. Because God says, I've given you the design. And if you live in the design, if you seek me first, you will prosper in the things that I'll give to you. Verse 4, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him. He'll help you. Have you ever been in a place where you come to church and it seems like everything we preach about, it seems like it's the most difficult thing to want to do? He says, your desire will change for the things I want if you start to live your life according to my design. Because naturally, because you are born into sin, naturally, you are not going to desire the things that God wants for you. What's the first thing you got to teach a baby? No. <laughs> Don't touch that. Don't do that. Shut your mouth, you crying infant. <laughs> You're born in a fallen state. You're prone to do the things that you don't want to do. You don't have to teach a baby to reach for the stove. They naturally try to do it. It's the same way in our lives. We are born into sin and we naturally desire the things that are opposite of the design. And God says, I'm going to give you the design and if you live according to it, your very desires will start to change. If you don't, don't be surprised that you're not craving the things of God. Amen? There are so many times where we focus on people's sins. I think we need to stop focusing on calling them out on their sins and start teaching them how to live because if they learn how to live according to design, their sin can't last. I want to embrace people and say, I don't care how far out you are and how much you've done wrong, you are accepted in this house and we are going to do life together and if we do life according to God's design, everything will change. When you walk into the room, everything changes. But are we building our rooms for a place for him to walk in? Or does he look in the room and say, oh, that, that ain't fit for me? Where are we building our temple according to? So in this design, we have these sections. You enter in through the gate, you go into the courtyard with praise, with sacrifice, 
You're washed by the blood of the Lamb. You're purified by the Word of God. I'm going to tell you what. I have had a, such a good week. I was talking to Jessica and Jacob when they got here earlier. They said, how's your week? I said, it's been great. They said, oh, really? I said, yeah. And I told them why. I spent more time in the Word this week. We talked about in the courtyard, there was a laver of washing the hands before you entered into the holy place. And we talked about how that is the same thing as being washed or purified by the word of God. If you continually get into the purification of the word, your life, it's really hard to keep the dirty stuff that's keeping you from him. That's keeping you from happiness, that's keeping you from joy. Because the more you get into this, the more clean you are and the harder it is for dirty stuff to stay. Well, I'll read the word once I have a desire. No, no, no. You read the word so that a new desire starts to form because you got to be washed in it. <laughs> so you enter in the courtyard. Can you throw that picture up there, Josh? You got the courtyard. You got, you got, you got this courtyard. You go through all these things. And then once you enter into the courtyard, after they've been taking their sins to the, the sacrifice of the lamb and all these things, you come to a second place called the holy place. And the holy place and the most holy place, these two different rooms, are the only things that are covered. In fact, yeah, thank you, Josh. In fact, if you remember, we talked about how everything in the courtyard was made of bronze. But inside this covered part where you have the holy place and the most holy place, everything was made of gold. Everything exposed was made of a metal that wasn't expensive, it wasn't as um, pure, but inside the covered part, the protected part, everything was made of gold. It was pure, it was untarnished. Your courtyard may get tarnished, but he never changes who you are covered in the blood of the Lamb. He says, your life may be exposed and you may get tarnished and you may get beat up, but the inside doesn't change. It's pure. It's, he says, because you are covered in the blood, I don't see you as tarnished. I see you as spotless because all I see when I look at you is the blood of my son. So because I look at you as pure and because I look at you as spotless, I want your courtyard to operate as the inside is. So if the inside of you is pure and spotless, I want your tongue to look pure and spotless eventually because you are living according to a new design and it starts to flow out of your spirit into your courtyard. Making sense? Okay. The priests would enter this holy place. The, the Jewish people couldn't even get in there. All they could do was bring their sins and then the priest would wash up and he would go into this covered part. And we talked about last week how when you entered in, you went through these different things. Before I explain the different things, I want to give you a quick recap of 1 Thessalonians 5.23. You are made up of three things. You're made up of spirit. Say it with me if you know it. You're made up of a soul, and you're made up of a, a body. Cheat sheet. Your body, the physical structure that contains your spirit and your soul. Let me tell you something about your body. Your body ain't saved. And your body is never going to be saved. That's why Revelation says, when everything is done, we will be put in a new body and placed on the earth. 
So we get so surprised when we fall to physical temptation. Why do we fall to it? Because your body is going to crave the things of the flesh. Your courtyard is exposed. Your eyes see things. Your ears hear things. It's the exposed part of you. Then you got your soul. It's your mind, your will, your emotions. This is the part of you that is in the process of being transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're saved. Your body is not saved. Your soul is in the process of transforming into the saved part of you, which brings us to the third part, your spirit. Your spirit is either saved or it's not. You're either going to hell or you're going to heaven. And because you are saved, God views you as a vessel worthy enough to be a place where he can live. He says, if I can get your spirit saved, then who I am can live inside of you. No matter what you do, no matter how you may look, I want my Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you. And if you will live according to that saved spirit, your soul will be transformed and your body can start to listen to what the transformed soul is telling you when it comes up under the spirit. That's why he says, I will give you new desires. Because your mind has to start thinking differently so that your body will listen to what your mind is saying. Because what happens is we start to think of a thought, man, it would be nice if I could have a drink tonight. Kyle, you don't understand, I've had a bad day. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If your mind is prone to let me get this, start submitting your mind to what your spirit wants. And the spirit says that I can feast on the word and it will satisfy me. Does it make sense? Spirit, soul, body. And he says, I'm going to let my Holy Spirit live inside of you. And if I let my Holy Spirit live inside of you, that means I don't view you as tarnished bronze. I view you as golden. I view you as a perfect son or daughter. So your life in Christ is no longer about let me measure up. It's let me walk into how God views me. It's not I have to earn God's affections. I have to walk into how he loves me so affectionately. It's not let me get right so that God can bless me. It's let me walk into the blessed vessel that he has already declared over me. Because there are so many times where we hear all these, we, we, we prayed this, uh, today and we always prayed with three words and there was a word that came up and the word was empowerment. Every time I talk to people about do you want to do something, it's either a yes or it's I got to get some things right. Let me tell you something. You do not get things right so that you can be empowered. You are empowered because when you start walking into ministry and walking into calling and walking what you're supposed to do, your soul has no other choice but to line up with where you're walking. 
You do not let your circumstances declare where you're going. You go where God's told you, and your mind, your will, and emotions are going to line up with the process you're walking in. You don't wait to get right and then go. You go, and you're made right. Am I speaking to anybody? Okay. John 14, 6 says, He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. The way is you walk through the door of Jesus, and you come into the courtyard at the altar of sacrifice with your sins. The truth is that you're washed in the Word of God, and the life is that you live in such a way where you come to a holy place and then enter into the most holy place. Making sense? Okay. So the priest would take all the sin offerings, all the praises of the people, and they would go into the holy place. Throw that back up there, that picture, Josh. And there was three things, if you remember, the lampstand to the left, the table of bread to the right, and the front was the altar of incense. They kept the lampstand burning with oil. Life is illuminated by him. Key to life. Be led by true light and not artificial light. There's so many things that try to brighten up your day when the only thing that should be brightening up your day is the word of God and the life of God and who he is. We look to get, we look to get brighter by all these superficial things and God says, let, let me burn inside of you. They offer bread at the table. The bread represented the 12 loaves, the 12 tribes. Key to life. Let the bread of life be your sustaining fuel. Not the other stuff you've been feasting on. I feel so much better when I watch this. I feel so much better when I do that. You should never have to do something to feel better if you're feasting on bread because you won't have to feast on anything to feel complete. He's all you need. And then they would burn incense. We talked about what, what is the incense. It was talking about the prayers, may the prayers of incense rise before you. They, they, they would offer up incense to God. It, 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 it's this call to pray at all times in the holy place. Now all throughout scripture, we can see people doing this stuff. We can see people doing the rituals. We see people going through the offerings. All the people in Exodus and many other books are doing all the stuff. But the truth of the matter is, they were still separated. No matter what they did, there was still a level of separation between them and God. And we're going to read about that in Hebrews 9. Am I boring you? Okay. Hebrews 9 verse 2. There were two rooms in that tabernacle. The first room, lampstand, table, sacred loaves of bread on the table. This room was called the holy place. Then there was a curtain. Someone shout curtain. And behind the curtain was the second room called the most holy place. Skipping down to verse 6. When these things were all in place, the priest would regularly enter the first room as they performed their religious duties. But only the high priest ever entered in the most holy place only once a year. So remember, don't, don't change anything, Josh. You got three rooms or three places. You got the courtyard where all the people came. You got the holy place where the priest came to. And then you got the most holy place 
that only one guy, the high priest, would enter in once a year. And we learned over the few weeks that we now have a new high priest, and his name is, that was the most depressing sounding thing. His name is, say it like you love him for goodness sakes. I love y'all. When these, but only the high priest ever entered in the most holy place once a year. He always offered blood for his own sins and for the sins of people who committed in ignorance. That's why the sacrifice of Jesus is so good as our high priest. He paid for sins that he never committed. That's why he satisfied it forever. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open as long as the tabernacle and the system represented were still in use. He said, as long as we had to depend on this system, the entrance to that most holy place was never open to anyone, only to the high priest once a year. And the thing that separated everyone else from going into this most holy place that one man entered once a year was a curtain. A curtain. In other translations, and in the original translation, there's a word called peroketh in the Hebrew. And you know what that word meant? It meant veil. The curtain that separated the two places was the veil. It was separating everyone else from this place where the Spirit of God dwelled. Because the Holy Spirit cannot live in an untarnished vessel. But God was not okay with this. Because one thing that God wanted, he said, I want to dwell with my people. I love my people too much to let a veil separate me from them. I love my people way too much to make them depend on a system where they have to operate distant from me. So in Matthew 27, 50 through 40, Jesus hanging on the cross, it says, then Jesus shouted out again, he released his spirit, and at the moment that Jesus Christ died, it said the curtain, or it is called the what? The veil, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two, from the top to the bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split apart, tombs opened, bodies of godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem and appeared to, to, to many people. The Roman officer, the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that happened, they said, all right, this was the son of God. <laughs> Can you imagine that? The Roman officers they're stabbing Jesus. They're putting crown of thorns on Jesus. They're bruising him. His flesh is falling off. He is up on a cross, suffocating to death. He is dying. And then when he dies, everything changes. Earthquakes, rocks falling, people raising from the dead. And the veil that separated everyone from that most holy place was torn. The veil was ripped. The thing that separated us from being bronze to gold, 
The thing that separated us from God being in us and with us was torn in an instant. All for one reason. Because God said what was separated can now be unified. I can now live in you. So if the veil that has been separated no longer separates us, what do we have? Let's talk. That's a long introduction, wasn't it? Exodus 37, verses 1 through 9. Next, Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood, a sacred chest 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, 27 inches high. He overlaid it inside and outside with pure gold. He ran a mold of gold all around it. He cast four gold rings and attached them to its four feet, two rings on each side. Then he made poles from acacia wood, overlaid them with gold. He inserted the poles into the rings at the side of the ark to carry it. Then he made the ark's cover, the place of atonement from pure gold, 45 inches long, 27 inches wide. He made two cherubim from hammer gold, placed them on two ends of the atonement cover. He molded the cherubim on each end of the atonement cover, making it all the one piece of gold. The cherubim faced each other, looked down on the atonement cover. With their wings spread above it, they protected it. The one thing that we can now see and be made one with and have in us and be one with, the thing that when the veil was torn, the thing that we got access to that we never had access to before was called the Ark of the Covenant. If you don't know what that is, check out Indiana Jones. The Ark of the Covenant. The place that the presence of God dwelled. Throw that picture up there, Josh, again. Of the, uh, I have a picture of uh, This is what it looked like, it was, or what we thought it looked like based off the, the, the scripture. Pure gold, two rods. Anybody remember why they had to have the rods? If you touched it, what would happen? You'd die. That's a bad God. <laughs> Touch me, you drop dead. <laughs> Everything was gold, two cherubim at the top of it. And this is where the presence of God lived. This is where the presence of God dwelled in the most holy place of the temple. In this most holy place, there was no light from a physical means. The only light that was in this most holy place came from a glow that was the glory of God because he was dwelling inside the Ark of the Covenant. It was made of wood covered with gold, it was covered with, and it was covered with a solid gold lid with the two angels on top of it, two cherubim. And this lid even had a name. It was called the mercy seat. The mercy seat was also considered the place of atonement. And what would happen is once a year, the high priest would come, called the day of atonement. If you know anything about Jewish religion, it's called Yom Kippur. You ever heard of that? It's around October, once a year, Yom Kippur, which is funny to me how the Bible says, you keep going in that system, I can't live there, but let me get you out of it. <laughs> Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter in the most holy place, and he would look at the mercy seat, he would come in, he would bathe, he would put on clean garments, his robes would have these gold bells hanging from it, letting people know that he was in there. And he would take the sacrifice, the blood of a sacrificed bull and a goat, and he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. He would sprinkle blood on the place of atonement. 
representing that our sin was being pardoned, that we would be reconciled to the Father. He would sprinkle the blood on there on the mercy seat. The fact of the matter is that your sin separates you from the presence of God. It is law, and nothing can change that. So the Father says, I am tired of being separated from you because of my own law. And the only way that I can get back with you is by this system. So I'm going to take my son, who is now your high priest, and his blood is going to be sprinkled on top of the thing that covers where the presence of God dwells. And when he sprinkled that blood, there was no more lid on it. There was no more separation from the presence. We became one to where, where we are the place that the Holy Spirit dwells. He says, there was a time where I could not be in you or with you or a part of you. But I'm sacrificing my son and his blood takes care of what was separated. He paid our debt on the mercy seat so that we would never need blood again. Hebrews 9.12 says it like this. With his own blood, not the blood of goats, not the blood of calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time, and he secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer to cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our own consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. He says, when the blood of Jesus, the perfect lamb, was spilled all over the mercy seat, you were given access to be joined with the spirit of God. You were covered by the blood and now you are the most holy place you are the thing that that, that allows the that, that that allows God to even get in this earth why the way God set the system up was that mankind had rulership over the earth and the only way to get this earth back in order the only way for people to be healed again the only way for us to enter into new levels of glory God said I've got to get myself in a man so this is how I'm going to do it I'm going to put my son on this earth as a man. I'm going to have him baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to have him sacrificed. His blood's going to go on the mercy seat. And because his blood took care of all your stuff, you are now the thing that holds the spirit. And because you hold the spirit in the earth, the way the earth is going to change is when the vessels of the living God start living according to his promises, to his ways, and we have the, the ability to govern this earth under the lordship of our Jesus Christ. Your sins never let you do it. You never had authority. But under the blood of Jesus, you can speak to your storms and they've got to move. You can speak to disease and it has to obey. You can speak to a demon and it has to run. You can, you can come on, shout amen. You have authority because you are now the most holy place. 
You're the most holy place. You know something interesting? When the priest would enter in the most holy place, he would enter with a censer of burning coals. If you don't know what a censer is, it's, it's this thing that priests would hold, they would, they would hold and they would swing and have burning coals. The priest would enter in with a censer and the coals would produce smoke. You know why they had to do that? Because the, the presence and glory of God was so thick in the most holy place. If they looked at the presence of God, they would die. If they looked at the, the presence of God was so intense, there was no room for people to, you could not even look upon it. Because it was, they would die. And we're in that most holy place now where if you would look upon the spirit, the only response your soul and your body can do is die. The presence of God was so intense that people could not even look at it and they would die if they put their eyes to it. And that presence, that degree of power, that if you looked at it and people would die, that degree of power and manifestation, guess where it lives now? It lives in you. And you're still scared of demons. You still get nervous at your circumstances. You still worry about things. When the thing that people looked at and died lives inside of you, do you realize what Jesus did? He did not just get you into heaven. He made you so special and so pure that you held the thing that nothing can stand in its presence and live. Well, Kyle, why is, why is stuff still living around me? Because you don't look like the holy temple that God views you as. God says, when I look at you, I see power. But all the world sees right now is your tarnished courtyard. But what you really are is you have something inside of you that sin can't stand against. Well, I'm scared of my circumstances. I've got big things coming up. I'm stressed. I'm worried. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I got, you, don't, you don't understand what I'm dealing with, Kyle. You've never seen my past. No, but God has. And he said, I have put something in you that your past has to die from. That your circumstances can no longer guide you. Nothing can stand in the presence of the living God. So the way this world changes is not let's pray that God will do something. It's you understand that you have an authority that when you walk into a room, God walks into a room. And because God walks into a room through you, when you walk into a room of addiction, it has to die. When you walk into a room of temptation, it has to die. When you walk into the presence of evil, it has to obey. When you walk upon a demon, the demon runs because it no longer sees you. It sees the presence of the living God. 
Jesus says, if you'll enter through my gate with thanksgiving, my courtyard with praise, repent of your sins at the altar, be washed by the blood, be purified by the word, let me be your light, eat of my bread and offer praise day and night, you will glow with a fire that the devil has to run from. John 1.5 says this, and this living expression is the light that bursts through gloom, the light that darkness could not diminish. Can I just be real with you? If darkness is taking over your life, it's not because God's not there. It's because you're not a living according to what's inside of you. The more you start to live according to the truth of God in you, darkness doesn't stand a chance. Yet when circumstances come, we get down. We turn to substances. We turn to gossip. We dive into all the sinful nature stuff. Why? Because you're not convinced of the power you've got. If you think that your God simply died so that you could get to save after you, so that you could get to heaven after you lived on the earth, you got a pretty crappy revelation of how great God is. You know how great God is? He doesn't want to dwell with you when you die. He doesn't want to wait for you to die. He wants to dwell with you now. And it's all for one purpose. That this earth would have to obey what walks it. You should not be moved by your circumstances. You have a holy ghost in you that moves the circumstances. I'm not going to let my debt tell me what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell my debt where it goes. And you say right at that, but you don't tithe. He says, I'm giving you the way, and it's up to you whether or not you're going to let me burn brightly so that things die in my presence, or you're going to live according to the worldly system that diminishes my light. And the great thing about God, he says, I still see you as holy. So here's the system. Live by me so that you can burn so bright that nothing can stand. Nothing can stand a chance because when you walk into the room, fire walks in. When you walk into a room, light breaks through because you're carrying the Holy Spirit of God that nothing can stand against. Inside that Ark of the Covenant, there were three items. Is this okay? In Hebrews 9, 4, it says this, In that room there was a gold incense altar, a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. And inside the ark there was a gold jar containing manna, Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves, and the stone tablets of the covenant. You know what the stone tablets are, don't you? Ten Commandments. And then you had Aaron's rod that sprouted leaves. It was a symbol of authority a rod, a staff, a shepherd's staff. It was a symbol 
of authority and it sprouted leaves and flowers that will symbol the power of God giving life from the one who leads. Then you got the commandments on the stone tablets and then you got a gold jar of manna. You know what manna means? It don't mean food. It means what is it? He says, inside of you now, because you contain the Holy Spirit and presence of God. There's law I've inscribed in you. If you obey it, you'll become. There is a rod and mantle of leadership on your life. I don't believe that there's four or five leaders and then there's patrons. I believe every single one of you is a leader. And you need to hear that tonight. You lead your life. You are to lead wherever you walk into. You may have the most satanic job in the universe. You're the leader in that room because the Ark of the Covenant that contains Aaron Raj just walked in. And out of you should be sprouting life because the people you're around have never seen it. And that gold jar of manna, that gold jar of what is it? God will provide whatever you need. That's what you get access to now. Because you carry the Spirit of God, you are given access to a jar full of whatever you need, the ability to lead, and a command inscribed in you for you to know which way to go. And when you are not in agreement with the stuff that's inside of you, you know what it causes? It causes conflict. You ever seen that little devil on one shoulder and I want to throw that idea of the devil away. I don't think it's the devil. I think it's you. Because let me just tell you what it's about. The devil can't do nothing. And I ain't scared to say it. Devil, you're puny and you're weak. You ain't got no power. The devil has no power over your life. Demons have no power over your life. The only thing they can do is suggest something and then your soul agrees with it. So I don't even think it's God and devil. I think it's your Holy Spirit and your soul. Because your soul is hearing things of the enemy and it's hearing things of the one that lives inside of you. And it's will I listen to my mind or will I make my mind listen to my spirit? And when I live a life where my mind has to submit to my spirit, there is a glow inside of me that starts to burn so bright that everything dies in my presence. Can, can you imagine a day where we become such a worshiping church? Can, can I be bold for a second? That we don't have to run from Target and Starbucks and companies that do some things that are not of God. We don't have to run from them because they have symbols and because they have rights. That we walk in and everything just has to die in the midst of our presence. Y'all are not hearing me. Can you imagine a day where we walk into a room full of sin and the response is no longer, well, I'm not a believer. The response is, Because when you walked into the room, God's burning so bright that they have no option but to submit to him. 
Yeah. Can you imagine they were the church stopped trying to be a club that Christians come to and we realize there's so much power in us that if we will go into a bar, alcoholics would have to submit to Jesus? Now, I'm not saying go do that tonight because half y'all ain't even there yet. I'm, can you imagine a day where we own this to such a degree that sin cannot stand? Parents, can you imagine a day where you're worshiping God so much that, that the, the strongholds that are trying to get your kids don't even have a chance to latch on because they can't stand in your house? you've got something inside of you that burns so bright that sin dies in its presence. There's something interesting about what was on top of the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat. It was two angels. I think I might start preaching a series soon about angels. Would y'all like that? Yeah. Okay. Maybe. There's two things on the, the seat. There's two angels. They were looking down on it. There was two on top of the mercy seat. There was even two angels that protected the garden from man when we got kicked out. There was two angels even watching over Jesus' body when he was put in the tomb. There was even two, these two angels were carved out looking down on this thing. So if we are the thing that contains the spirit of God, what do you think has been assigned to watch over you? Say it. Say it. Angels. Psalm 91.10. No evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. As if the Spirit of God wasn't enough. You know why he sent his angels to protect you? Because there are times when you walk into places that you don't live according to what's inside of you. And God says, I know that there are going to be times where you're not burning bright. So in those times, I've got, my, I've got my heavenly army looking over you. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You know what that gives me comfort with? Even if I am not at a place where I'm burning 100% right with the Holy Spirit, maybe I'm 50 one day, maybe I'm 40 one day, maybe I'm 65 another day. In all of it, I've got angels watching over me where they're not going to let a thing hurt me. Well, Kyle, I'm just not that confident in my authority in Jesus. It's okay. Angels are over you. Kyle, I don't know if I can lay hands on people and, and, and deliver them. Because I'm not, it's all, it's all right. Angels have got you. You are not alone. You've got God. You've got Jesus. The Holy Spirit's in you. The Father's looking over you. You've got a company of the angels surrounding you. What are we scared of? Why aren't we bold? Why have we become a people that have to tiptoe around our beliefs? You've got the army of God watching over you and a fire inside of you burning so bright, nothing can stand. You know what happened to Moses when he went inside the, the, the holy place in Exodus 34? It says, whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he will remove the veil until he came out again and, and over his face, and he will cup, give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given, and the people of Israel would see the radiant glow on his face. So he would put the veil over his face until he returned to speak to the Lord. He was so in the presence of God, he was burning so bright, he had to cover his face so people wouldn't get burned. 
Can you imagine a day where we walk into, into places in Savannah, Georgia, where people cannot help but to change because the spirit of the living God just walked in the room, not by a, a, a spirit that's just, oh, he's, he's in the room. He's in the room because you are here. Let me tell you something about this building. When we all leave, it's just a building. There's nothing special about this building. It's the same as Target. Y'all yeah, want to hear that? It's, it's, it's the same as the occult tattoo place. Not that all tattoos are occult, but some are. I, I, nothing against tattoos. You can go into the most demonic, possessed building downtown. Nothing different than this. You know what the difference is? Us. The Holy Spirit does not live in a blessed building. It lives in the temple. It lives in the most holy place. And you know what the most, where the most holy place is now? It's not getting to a church. It's not getting to a, a, a state. It's not getting to a revival. It's not getting to a movement. The place where the Spirit of God dwells, the Ark of the Covenant, is the thing you wake up and look at every single day. When are we going to start be, being that and walking into places burning so brightly that sin and demons and strongholds and hurt and pain can not survive. If we would die to ourselves more and more, you would burn so brightly that everything has to change. God loves you that much. And you know what? He looks at you as that worthy. I don't care what happened to you in your childhood. I don't care what's going on through you, your life now. He loves you, and he no longer sees you as bronze. He sees you as pure gold and worthy to carry his spirit on this earth. So let's become a people who look like the tabernacle of God, who look like the most holy place, that wherever we go, things change and things move. And when we do that, Savannah will see a worshiping church and revival will sweep over this region. Amen.